Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Uh, today, David Morrison and I sit down and discuss a uh, gentleman named Henry Nowen. He was a Dutch-born Catholic priest, professor, psychologist, and prolific writer. Um, some of the places he taught at was uh, Notre Dame and the divinity schools uh, connected to Yale and Harvard. Um, and we just sort of touch base. He had this idea of, of um, everyone being a beloved child of God and uh, touched on many different topics and themes that uh, really shaped David Morrison's life and I. And we get into that. But before we get into that, uh, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering for this website or for this podcast. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Um, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community or read some of David Morrison's writings, theruined.com is a place to go for that. Uh, if you like what you hear and want to hear more episodes, drcrpod.com. Uh, you can do that there uh, or wherever you found this particular episode. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us out. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. David Morrison. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm a little dizzy from allergies. I don't know what's going oh, on. Allergied up. Sinus pressure or a tumor. It's probably a tumor. It's not a tumor. So, yeah, a little dizzy today. Um, Tuesday morning. I'm a little out of it myself. Tuesday morning, we're here podcasting, casting the pods, as you say. Yes, sir. And uh, we are going to continue. It's an unofficial series, but it's we've done it. I don't. I think this might be number ten. No, maybe seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, last month we did one about Barbara Brown Taylor. Hey yo. Um, and and her influence and uh, what would be the right word? Um, not production, contribution yeah. to the spiritual world and the spiritual um, ideas around theology and Christianity and, and sort of how it's shaped, helped shape your ideas and theology. And um, today uh, we're going to uh, talk about uh, Henry Nowen. I'm sorry, I almost said Peter now, and I knew that wasn't correct. <laughs> That's his cousin <laughs> in the Netherlands. <laughs> cousin Pete. Uh, no, Henry Nowen, um, uh, a, a pro prolific writer, um, really focused on this idea of, of being a beloved child of God, um, sons and daughters of God. He, he, it seemed as though he went out of his way to, to sort of focus, not... Not maybe not focus on it, but highlight that in his talks and writings and um, uh, a pastor to a priest. And um, so I guess we'll start off with uh, maybe how or <clears throat> maybe, yeah, how you how you came in contact with his, whether it was his writing or his preaching, sort of your first first contact with it and, and uh, what caught your attention about it. Yeah, it was probably the very late 90s, so he had already died. He died in 96 of a heart attack in his 60s, uh, and I don't really remember where I heard from him, mm -hmm. but um, 
I want to guess that we, our church had a bookstore. Right. And uh, the guy that was running the bookstore might have given me a copy or we had it mm. of one of his books. And Just caught your eye. Yeah. And it, I was really touched by it. So he was very influential to me from maybe 1999 to the early 2000s, very much so. And then, and then I have a personal, uh, it's, it feels personal anyway, a personal connection with him. Uh, not on his end. <laughs> I've never met him. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but Person, for me, Personally yeah, to you. Yeah, there are some authors you read and you feel like you know them and they've somehow contacted you and breathed into your life, so to speak. And he's one of those for me. Uh, well, and his friend, uh, Jean Vanier, is we've right. talked about on the podcast, is one of those people for me yeah. um, who passed away a year or two ago. Yeah, so that was that was kind of my probably initial. And I guess what really struck me was, I guess, being a, in the charismatic evangelical world at the time for so long, um, they tend to, Protestants tend to rationalize grace, the experience mm. of grace in your life. And right. when you rationalize, in my, because I grew up Catholic, it, it, it was... Uh, made no sense to me because they were rationalizing grace. Mm. Grace is not a rational uh, experience. Right. It's, it's a, it's a wild experience. Well, it's sort of the definition of grace falls apart once you try to start rationalizing. It. Yeah. And so it just never really made sense to me. And, and then, and then in the Catholic experience, it was more a, a merit system. Uh, to, uh, you know, you, you know, <laughs> In my family, it was just kind of, I mean, it's kind of twisted, but it was, if you were sick or suffering physically, you were gaining grace from God. That was kind of my, <laughs> my dear poor mother's <laughs> view on life. Because I would try to, as a charismatic, I would try to lay hands on her and heal her. Right. And she'd be like, no, I'm getting grace. And I was just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and so Henry Nowen's writings really made... Uh, opened my heart to the 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 true grace of God, mm. the the amazing, uh, like uh, Rich Mullins described it, Brendan Manning. The since his anniversary of dying was just last week. Oh, was it? Yeah, the nineteenth. Um, but the reckless, raging fury that is the love of God that mm. and and being actuated in my soul during that time in a very profound way. And and we had just adopted our daughter from birth. And I never, and when you would have a, bring a child into your life, when you give birth or father a child, or there are doors that open in your heart of openness that you never knew were there. These mm -hmm. doors you never knew were there. So you didn't realize you had, you could be that wide of a conduit for love and compassion and these wells that were there that you didn't know were there. And so, so that was kind of when I discovered his, his writings and it, it really, added fuel to that fire. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, that's a pretty amazing, um, just all that lining up at the, you know, I, I obviously didn't know you when, uh, you and Marsha adopted Anna, but just seeing you, you know, the love you have for her, yeah. you know, in the, however long I've known you now, eight, nine, 10 years. Um, and just, just being a witness to it. Not even, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just being able to be a, I mean, it kind of sounds weird, but just being a, a third party observer, um, for me, it's very humbling. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't know if I've ever been as close, you know, especially because we're bubbled during the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah. we had a lot of contact um, and, and just, you know, got to witness each other's lives. And that was one of the things, yeah. one of the humbling things for me was to witness that love and that um, just that openness, you know, you you and Marsha have and and everything that comes with it. Yeah. Right? Like it's, I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, it's all good. And, but you know what I mean? Just that, that example of unconditional love that, um, I, I know I've witnessed it before, but, um, most recently, I think that was a very humbling thing. To yeah. Um, yeah. One of the interesting things, uh, I kind of caught, um, from doing some of the research about, about Henry now, and maybe you can speak on this as far as your your experience, but, um, just the, the openness, um, to, or not the openness, but yeah, well, openness and, uh, coupled with a vulnerability around yeah. his faith, um, the good and the bad, right. The right. deep belief and the doubts, um, the good times yeah. and the sort of sad times or depressive times. Right. And, um, I know for me, that's always a um, refreshing thing to see in a quote unquote spiritual leader or spiritual writer where it's easy to write about all the good times and, you know, sort of, um, and maybe it's from growing up in the social media era, you know, coming, coming, you know, being an adult in that where things are constantly being polished, right. And presented like, Oh, look at this amazing thing. Um, And so to, to have someone that is sort of, not the antithesis of it, right? But just gives the bigger, the bigger picture, the, yeah. the behind the scenes picture. Maybe would be a good way to put it, um, and so, sort of how that has struck or or shaped your your experience. Yeah, I mean, it was his. What what, what was the question? <laughs> just just his his vulnerability. Yeah, shining yeah. the light on the good and the the you know showing the warts of things right, right. Um, in his writings and stuff like that and how that impacted you. Yeah. He was very much not like any Catholic priest I've ever met mm. in my life. Uh, maybe Richard Rohr, but even Richard Rohr is very intellectual, intellectually mm-hmm. driven. Uh, now one is very emotionally driven mm. and in touch with that. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, you know, even the way that he lived his life, that was impressed me, you know, from the beginning when I started reading about him and reading his stuff. Um, you know, he was a, a, you know, Catholic priest from the Netherlands. He comes over here to the United States in the early 60s, gets involved with the civil rights movement mm-hmm. immediately. Um, and then he was kind of a progressive in the sense, or he was a progressive in the sense of, uh, because this was, you know, this would have been in the fifties, sixties, right. early sixties, trying to see the, he was exploring the connection between psychology, mm. mental health, uh, and faith and spiritual experience. So he was trying to, to bridge that, mm-hmm. uh, not that they, they need a bridge, but trying to see where, where the, uh, the Venn diagram comes together. Right. Giving, giving. Uh, maybe not a bridge, but a pointing towards a bridge. Yeah, yeah. and so that was a new thing in the Catholic Church. Uh, new thing in Christianity. Christianity is still 
by and large, very far behind on uh, acknowledging mental illness mm. and uh, and not stigmatizing it and 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 seeing how faith relates in there, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so yeah, so he was doing that, and then what really impressed me is that he was you know a teacher, he was a professor at Yale, uh, Harvard, Harvard and Notre Yale, Dame. Yeah. And then, you know, and he was already a, a pretty popular writer and felt his life was still empty. He was searching for community, which is what I was doing mm. in the in the early 2000s. We were trying to, we were exploring what does authentic community look like as opposed to a consumer church, a consumer-driven church that we had, uh, you know, where we're trying to promote and uh, promote ourselves in the, you know, and attract people and that kind of thing by being attractive. Right. And so he finds this, you know, uh, Jean Van, uh, Jean Vanier, yep. and he goes to La Arche, uh, which is a, uh, it was a Catholic, is a Catholic community movement, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, mentally and physical dis- uh, disabled people mm-hmm. to live in community and faith, express their faith together and, that sort of thing. And, and so he goes outside of Toronto, uh, Canada and becomes their pastor and takes care of a man named Adam. Mm. And he wrote a, an incredible book, which opened, which blew my mind as well. So, so one major thing that he did, and this is always a theme here with us is, is he opened what the incarnation looks like in life, not just a doctrine, uh, well, God became a human being, uh, you have to believe that. Well, why do I have to believe that? Right. Because he we said open, so. <laughs> he didn't open with a creed. Yeah. So, so he, his book uh, on, I think it's called Adam. I think so. Yeah. And it's his experience with taking care of this. Uh, I, I don't believe the man could speak. Mm. Um, and he and he went into uh, uh, what? Are, what's the word? Uh, Caesars. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'm not no, feeling good. so good today. I'm having a Caesar myself. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so when, so Adam died like a year before Henry Nowen died. Mm. And so he finished this book on his life. And the way he structured it was amazing. He said, This is Adam's hidden life. Uh, Adam's, he, he patterned Adam's life after Christ himself. So, so Adam's crucifixion, Adam's betrayals, uh, Adam's resurrection, that kind of thing. Right. So that's, that's an incarnational view of life and application of that. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so, absolutely. so yeah, so that really impressed me. And then, you know, and he was, he spent time in Latin America and so was influenced by the evil uh, liberation theology <laughs> that I was warned against as a, as a young child. Uh, your your priests uh, yeah. warned you against that. Yeah. Don't get involved with those guys. <laughs> My advice to you kids out there, don't trust anyone that wants to burn books. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, and so, so he was also a witness for something better than upward mobility, mm. which is what our, you know, in the 1980s especially, this this idea that you should be getting richer and bigger and better, and he started. He I think he coined the term downward mobility mm. or inward mobility, and that was very uh, you know revolutionary for me. Right. So, yeah. 
one and two things that came to mind. One, if you're interested in uh, David and I's take, sort of, we we have an episode a few months back, number sixty-two, called "Mental Health and Mystics." Oh yeah, and sort of we we actually delve pretty deep into that uh, Christianity, uh, or at least our experience with Christianity, sort of looking the other way or uh, minimizing, yeah, dismissing it, yeah. And um, the other thing about the large communities, um, there's a great uh, documentary that came out in 2018 or 2019 about uh, about the communities and, and sort of how just the story of it, you know, and, and sort of the story of, of um, how they live and, and support each other. And I think they even highlight a couple. It's not just one of the communities. It's a worldwide community but i think they they look at some of the other ones so um that kind of goes hand in hand with this uh henry nowen's uh time at at uh the one in outside of toronto yeah um and the documentary isn't about that the documentary is about just larsh in general but it gives you a little insight of of what he would have experienced yeah during his time because i I think he was there for several years if i remember yeah yeah to the end of his life yeah um and so I guess with the uh, kind of continuing on with this idea of um, inward or downward mobility and, and um, kind of focusing on that idea for a few minutes and, and what, what has been, what is your take on that idea of, of inward mobility or downward mobility and sort of how, um, how it shaped your life over the last, what, 10 or 15 years? um spiritually yeah it's it's this idea of we're not in a spiritual sense we're not supposed to become uh something that we're not already uh so so you know we always so so i guess in a spiritual translation it's, well let me let me see in a material translation consumer translation it's uh the one that dies with the most toys wins right, right? <laughs> uh do you know how powerful I am? I drive a... Do you know the F you're dealing with? <laughs> I, I drive a Buick, all right? You know, And so this this idea of status symbols hmm. connected to, to what you own, your possessions, uh, that kind of thing. Well, that translates, that, that spirit of materialism, uh, the Bible would call it worldliness, hmm. uh, translates into the spiritual industry as well, that's an industry yeah. of, of, you know, have I collected all the transformations I can get? Mm. Uh, have I experienced, have I, have I done I, all the retreats? Yeah. The retreats, <clears throat> the experiences, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so, no, it's about, uh, the John the Baptist way, which is, you know, I must decrease, mm. he said, and Christ must increase and, uh, you know, and, and love, love dispossesses you. Love wounds you, and Nowen wrote a lot about that, uh, the wound of love, uh, and uh, you know, and it decreases you it, it, until you're transparent, and so mm-hmm. not the other way around. You don't become this this amazing image of this powerful warrior. That's the big thing in especially charismatic Christianity to become this warrior, this badass warrior, and they've been doing it for so many years that they are starting to manifest it physically. So now they, they've kind of 
tripped over into uh, patriotism, mm. which is not patriotism. It's just Christian nationalism, which is idolatry well, and that's, and that's kind of how Christianity got its popularity in the first place, as far as Constantine making it the the national. Yeah, yeah, you could. You argue know what that. I mean? And yeah. so it's like it's becoming popularized in ancient times, right? Had its foothold in that anyway. So, you know, it it seems as though there's a thread. Yeah, we've been there, done that. that. You know what I mean? That (laughs) that sort of goes back to that. So this, you know, and and what got me thinking about it recently was, you know, I I can't remember what it was, but it was something. And they were, you know, they were talking about the the king and the warrior Christ and and just right. It was very. It's a big thing. No, yeah, the Lion of Judah. But it was just. It was very. It was a. You know, if you step back and think about like, you know, uh, this idea of the, the peacefulness that Jesus was talking about, right? And then you fast forward that two thousand years, and that you have someone. Uh, make it. And I wish I could remember what it was because I, I feel like it would paint the picture better. But then, in a very uh, not uplifting but boisterous kind of way of right. like the warrior and the King Christ and blah blah blah. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not sure that's really painted in the Gospels anywhere. <laughs> no, but it's the dominant image in any charismatic Christianity. Uh, put on the full armor of God. They love that Ephesians passage. They love uh, a lot of the Psalms, which are tribal and warfare oriented. And well, even the flipping of the tables in the market. Yeah, they'll use that as an example. Yeah, they're like, oh, you got to rough them up. Sometimes. That's yeah, that's the say. Yeah, so you need to go down to the Capitol and and uh, try to hang the up. try to hang the Vice President of the United States <laughs> and uh, kidnap the. Uh, Speaker of the House of the United States. That, that's how they would justify that. Well, you and just need to kidnap her to get some of the insider trading. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. If you were nice to her, she might. <laughs> she probably would help you out with yeah, that. Be, <laughs> she's like, she's not a monster. <laughs> she's like, don't tell anyone else this. But um, but to, so to get back to this idea of, uh, or deconstruct maybe is a better way to say it, this idea of the the powerful Christ and... and um, you know, what was noticeable to you in, in the sense of specifically that, you know, the powerful warrior Christ and how Henry Nowen kind of, like you were talking about, deconstructed that. Yeah. Um, what were maybe one or two things that just was profound? Maybe it wouldn't seem profound to you now because yeah. you've been engaged with it. But, you know, coming from that evangelical background that was kick ass and take down names yeah yeah. spirituality what was sort of you know uh it was it was probably again it was it was parallel to my experience of having a uh an infant daughter you know uh and so you know i'm gazing at this child sleeping taking care of her and experiencing uh, an incredible amount of fatherly love and then realizing uh, that God feels this way for me and therefore feels this way for the world. So it opened up a very, like I said, an emotional, personal yeah. kind of thing. Uh, we even went to, we, uh, Bill and, and Kirsten Helm lived in Buffalo at the time. Kirsten still lives in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, Kirsten. Thank, uh, thanks for the, <laughs> thanks. What was it? Sponge candy? 
Yes. <laughs> we were sponge worthy of the sponge buffalo chocolate. Uh, anyway, that's, I don't know what that, yeah. that's an inside joke. So uh, they had invited, uh, they had gotten uh, me invited to speak at their Presbyterian church, which was, I think it was downtown mm. Buffalo. And we did like a little mini thing. I right, don't know what right. it was. Uh, like a weekend kind of thing. It was Martin Luther King mm. weekend. Uh, so January in Buffalo. <laughs> nice and toasty. <laughs> the kid from the desert. That was a lot, a lot of fun. I never experienced my eyelashes freezing before at Niagara Falls. Uh, and so we had a day off. And I think it extended to that Monday or Sunday. Or, and so they asked where I'd like to go. We, so I, we went to Henry Nowen's grave. Mm. We went into Canada. And, and I found he was a... Also a, uh, I guess, a, a Vincent Van Gogh fanboy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, cool. he, he wrote, so he loved Rembrandt, who was Dutch, and, uh-huh, right, yeah. and Van Gogh was Dutch, and he's, you know, so he had a connection to that. And and that artwork was also kind of becoming new to me. I mean, I'd been aware of art, but it was really awakening mm-hmm. as a spiritual to gaze on a piece of art and uh, and and see the universe in it, see mm-hmm. the workings of God in it. And so purple irises are a theme in Van Gogh. So so I don't know how we found them, but we went to a grocery store, the first one, and there were some purple irises there. <laughs> they knew you were coming. <laughs> yeah. So we drove into Canada, eh? And uh, uh, drove past La Arche there, and he's buried in a, in a small, literally off the road, mm. little country graveyard uh like you literally turn off the road and you're in the graveyard yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing and and there was snow on the ground you know and uh no uh, knelt at his grave and laid the irises down and uh and it was a very powerful moment for me very intense and so uh I don't I haven't even talked about it in a lot of years uh but yeah so I just felt that connection with that and it's that yeah it's that powerful uh i guess second person experience with god you know i and thou as martin buber would would talk about it uh an illuminative experience so it's it was uh you know god as subject if you will but separate from me mm-hmm. but connected but pouring love down upon me as an you know, as an object of that love and then elevating me to subject to subject. That's right. See, once you start rationalizing it, putting <laughs> in the language, it, it falls apart, you know? And, uh, so that was, that was a very intense time, uh, in my life. I forgot. I think I took us way off the, no, actually. Well, I mean that, that uh, you took us right on track in the sense that, um, one of the, one of, and I already mentioned this, but one of Henry Nowen's themes is being a beloved child of God. Yeah. Um, and so feeling that fatherly love while, you know, while you're holding your daughter and then feeling that, that love again, you know, at the graveside, leaving the irises and, and, um, because there is, you know, it, it gets thrown around a lot, but this idea of like mind, body, and soul, you know what I mean? But I do think, um, on the spiritual path, it takes, it takes all, you know, it takes the rational part, yeah. you know, it takes the emotional part. Um, and then there's this mysterious third part over here 
yeah. that we we try to articulate, uh, but you can't. Yeah. Right. And you experienced it at the graveside. Yeah. You experienced it holding holding Anna. You've uh, yeah. you know you've talked about it. You've written about it. You know I've experienced it. You know I've shared those some of those experiences here on the on the podcast and stuff. And so, um, but acknowledging it. Yeah. I think is where some people can, uh, actually, I think it goes both ways. I think one, some people are afraid to acknowledge the emotional side of their spiritual life. Um, because it's not, it's not rational. Right. Right. And it's hard to articulate. I can't control it if. Right. Yeah. You can't right. sell it yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't keep it in a nice box. Um, and I think on the other side of that same coin is some people, it's only the emotional part, Yeah, you know? And so, um, relying on those that came before us, whether it's the writings of the saints or yeah. right. Or even writings of the unknown, right? The, uh, what's the anonymous, uh, something cloud. Oh yeah. The cloud of unknowing. Yeah. The yeah. cloud of unknowing, right. you know, and, and relying on, on, on that because, to ingest that does take some of the rational mind. Yeah. Right. And so, um, it was, it was it, a, I would also say it was a shift to put it in even, uh, I'm sorry to mean to interrupt No, you. no, keep going. Go. I, I think it was a shift in my life. Uh, not looking back of previous to that, of me trying to articulate and prove how much I love Jesus. Oh. <laughs> which is a very charismatic thing to do, right? I'm on fire for Jesus. And right. I was, you know, because uh, we're emotional beings, yeah. you know? So I was always, you know, I was there on the front row of every service, right. fist in the air, hands, uh, you know, when we went into warrior pose uh, or hands in the air when I went into, you know, vulnerability mode. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like I was planning. It was, these were just what I was feeling, and, you know, and, and social pressures as, you know, you do what you, whatever the group is doing, right? You you start off in a rental car and then you end up storming the Capitol. You know, it's just who knows. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So 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 I think it, it started a shift in my life from me being energized into how much can I show God that I love God mm. to no, you can never do that. Uh, God is love, and you are beloved. You are loved. And so that was a very, and so, you know, uh, you know, I never thought about it before at the time. Take these things for granted now. I don't really think right, about right, it. Right, 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 yeah. Uh, but even my name, David, uh, which is, a, you know, I come from an Irish family. Uh, David's not an Irish name, mm -hmm. you know, and so it's a Hebrew name. Uh, and it means beloved. It literally means beloved. Mm -hmm. So it was like, wow, how did an Irish boy get named beloved, you know, and. In, in that Hebrew word, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, so it became, yeah, the, the putting pieces together in my life at the time. And, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, and the next step, which Henry Nouwen also introduced to me, which was the Eucharistic life. That was very impactful for me. Uh, so it's not just a sacrament that you take. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast here, uh, but that everything becomes thanks Everything mm -hmm. becomes Thanksgiving. Everything becomes uh, a, a Eucharistic life. And so that yeah. was a, a major door opening for me in my mid, probably, uh, I guess, mid-30s. Sort of that stream of gratitude. Yeah. 
how powerful that is. Yeah, introducing it in your life because it because it is the Eucharist can be a Sunday thing. Yeah. Or, well, not or, but there's also the option of it being an uh, every moment thing yeah. too, and and not not that everyone's engaged in it every moment, but striving for right. that that place of gratitude, that th- place of thanksgiving. Um, yeah, and, and then you begin to show appreciation to people that are right in front of you here and now, not because not for what they do for you or what you can get from them, but simply because they're on your path, uh, you're on their path at that moment, and you can appreciate their presence. For you know, there, there's there's power in that. Well, um, that was one of the things that one of the themes that I caught on to, looking into. Uh, into him for this, this, uh, episode is, um, you know, you, that a thing, it's a theme you speak about often and and regularly is just that, um, what you just said, you know what I mean? Not, not necessarily. And not even, I guess the one that caught my mind was, you know, just the way you articulated it, those others around you finding out what they can do for you. But then even, you know, looking, looking in the mirror and, and, um, one of the things he, and I'm paraphrasing, but one of the things he said is, you know, all those things that you do to be productive or to be liked or to be yeah, noticed, yeah. um, that's all fine and well, but it's okay to just be a human too yeah. and be human with another human, you know, and, um, it, I, I mean, not to sound corny or sappy, but it, my mind came to these conversations you right. know what I mean? And and me and you sitting down for the last, um, I guess it's been over two years wow. now that we've been recording, but just having these conversations where um, we're just human, Yeah, you know what I mean? And some of them are, are insightful. Some of them are not. Um, we've had to scrap some of them because of whatever reason, whether it's background noise or um, we just didn't use it. And, and, um, and then there's others we've, we've released more than once, you know? And so, um, but my favorite part about these conversations is just me and you showing up and just being human yeah, you know exactly, I mean? and, and being as, as authentic as we can, um, in the moment, you know what I mean? We do do show prep, but for a lot of it, it's, it's just us coming and, and talking about what, what's on our heart, what's on our mind and, and, um, and just seeing where the, the conversation takes us. Yeah. Um, and so, and so one of the themes you mentioned just a few minutes ago is that idea of, of not, you know, just being with people on a path. Um, are there any other uh, themes that just seem for you today seem ordinary, but um, maybe, you know, yeah. what we're influenced we're, by Henry now. Yeah. And to, so at one point they were these profound, insightful things yeah. and they're still profound and insightful. But when you yeah. live something and you've read the book, you know, yeah, <laughs> 10 times and you read the emails because they, the Henry now and society has oh, daily, they have an email thing? daily emails yeah. of his writing. I've read those for years and years and years. Richard now. Ward does something and like Ward that. Ward does too. too yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So you, it's a, uh, no, yeah. Another shift would have been, uh, again, he brings up now and would often talk about, I can't, remember a specific book, but it's a general theme in his writing of uh, learning to just be uh, 
non-productive in God's presence. In other words, when you're in prayer, people think you have to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to produce something. You have to say some sort of words or, or produce some sort of faith. Mm-hmm. And so definitely from that warrior charismatic mm-hmm. viewpoint, you go in the presence of God, you go to the, you know, the do uh, warfare. You know, we, 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 uh, war against, uh, you know, the powers that be, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against the, the principalities of the air. Uh, and so you have to be, uh, be something in that mindset. And he yeah. introduced the concept of uh, be worthless <laughs> uh, in the presence of God and, 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 uh, and see what happens. You know, that was a wild concept for me. Um, I think somebody prayed this uh, over him. I think he mentions in one of his books, but somebody told him, uh, uh, you know, may you be stripped of everything so then you can learn to uh, be a simple child mm-hmm. and dance and play in the presence of God. Because a, a child, uh, especially an infant child, uh, doesn't do anything for the household. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't sweep. They don't, you know, they don't make any money. They don't make no bread. <laughs> <laughs> they don't wash dishes. They don't produce anything. They don't even wipe their own butts. <laughs> no. But they have transformed everyone in that house. Yeah. They've transformed. Just their presence has. Mm. Just the fact that they were born. Right. And they're here and uh, now. Uh, it, not, no pun intended there. <laughs> uh the name of Henry Nowen's podcast for you that don't know is Here and Now. Yeah. Or Now and Then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> My bad. I messed that up. Now yeah. and Then is the name yeah, of Yeah, Now and Then. Of their, the, society, the Henry Nowen Society podcast. Yeah. yeah. I guess would be the correct way. But yes, yeah. they, so they are transformed. Because and they don't the, endorse this podcast. <laughs> In fact, they don't know about this right. podcast. They don't care about this podcast. Uh, until we get a cease and desist letter. Yeah. Can't talk about our guy. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so that was, that was quite a concept, which, which, uh, within a few years would have led me to Thomas Keating's writings mm, right. and Richard Rohr and especially Keating. Cause he came, he, he's a how to writer, mm. how to do this. Cause Martin would talk about contemplative prayer, Thomas Martin, mm-hmm. but would never give any, how do you do it? And so it was always very nebulous. Interesting. And so Henry Nouwen wrote about Thomas Merton and Rohr did and and uh, Keating, and it, and it started to make sense for me. And so it led me to this, uh, the practice of centering prayer, which is simply being still in the, the cloud of unknowing. Right. That, that you mentioned sitting in the presence of God and uh, simply allowing it to be, you know. So. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. Um, as you were describing that, like this idea of, of prayer and, and getting results and this and that, yeah. um, how my, you know, my, for me, my mind still goes there with that and, um, with prayer specifically, you know, and, and being able to, for, I guess for me, the, the wording, I mean, the concept's the same, the wording's slightly different, but just this idea of meditation, yeah. You know, that's kind of where I go to for just being useless to God, you know what I mean? And just, yeah. and just breathing, you know what I mean? And just allowing myself to breathe and not, you know, I don't have a mantra that I need to lock on to. I don't have, you yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not trying to reach enlightenment, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, um, and even, you know, even in the last few years, like it's not even, 
Um, cause for a time it was like, okay, you know, my mind can race a lot, you yeah. know, so, Oh, if I do meditation, it won't race as much, which is true. But when I sit down to meditate, I don't, that's not the goal either. Right. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes my mind will still race during meditation. And I just, I just, you know, I just sit there with God and my racing mind Yeah, <laughs> and be, maybe not be okay with it, but just, you know, just, there's no outcome that needs to come from it. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, um, and just shifting, you know, as we're having this conversation, mentally thinking about shifting that in my prayer life too, you know, and just, and just being, being in prayer, um, and still having the same prayers, but those outcomes, yeah. um, not needing, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. But just being indifferent to the outcomes, I guess would be, would be a reasonable way to put it because it really is. If I think of this idea of God, of a higher power, you know, whatever it is, it in quote unquote comparison, I, you know, effectively I am an infant and to just embrace that and, and lean on that. Yeah. And it's scary, right? It's not. Yeah. People don't, you know, most of the time we don't dangle gracefully. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Being this idea of a, a warrior, powerful and all this other stuff is much more alluring yeah. to, to the human mind. To the American consciousness rather than being a child, which Jesus literally said, you know, says in the gospels, mm-hmm. uh, you need to become Maybe. like a child to even engage with the kingdom of heaven. So, yeah. And so, um, I know you said at the beginning, you you know, you didn't really remember your first encounter, whether, you know, which book it was or, you know, whatever. Oh, I remember the book. Yeah. Oh, you do remember. The yeah. Book. It's okay. probably his most popular book and it's, but it's not my favorite. Okay. Uh, but it's, uh, the return of the prodigal. Mm. So very, it was very popular. Uh, and it made its way into evangelical circles too. He's very popular. He's, he's one of those crossover yeah, right. Catholics, you know, he's, has a uh, wide, a wide net. Yeah. Him and Richard Rohr very much. So, mm. uh, Thomas Kitty, not so much. Um, and so, yeah, uh, so, so this, yeah, it was the return of the prodigal, but the book that really has, I still to this day has probably influenced me more than is life of the beloved mm. is that book. I would highly recommend, uh, that book. And so he wrote it for one person. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, and the person was not apparently impressed with it. <laughs> <laughs> It's usually how it goes in life. Yeah, he wrote it for this young man. Uh, I think one of his students. I think. Okay. In a, in a graduate program, and and it, it, apparently it didn't help him. Interesting. <laughs> but then it became a massive retreat. Uh, you know, uh, in retreat centers. You know, it's a it's a very popular book uh, in that world. <laughs> and and what um, what other books have been by him specifically have been. I, I guess my, the thought process behind the question is like, you know, what, for those listening that want to jump into the Henry Nowen yeah. um, world, um, besides those two books, are there any one that, any other ones that come to mind? And maybe, you know, if you're, if you're wrestling with a specific thing, you know, which yeah. one to, to start with or. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a very powerful one he wrote. It's his personal journal when he, he had a uh, depressive breakdown. Mm. And I think he was hospitalized, if I remember. Uh, and he wrote this journal during that time, processing his trauma and his hurt, his wounds. Uh, 
and it's called the inner voice of love. Mm. That's very, that's a very powerful book for someone. Yeah. I don't even think I've heard of that one that. specifically. Yeah. Um, and then for me, uh, also I'd say my second favorite would be, uh, the with burning hearts. Okay. It's a meditation on the road to Emmaus, mm. which is one of my favorite gospel stories, if you will. Uh, so it's the Eucharistic life. It unpacks the life of, of Thanksgiving connected to the sacrament of communion. And so that's why it's not just a, just a ritual to me. It's a way of life, yeah. the, the, the Eucharistic life. And so that book really unpacks that, that theme. Uh, he wrote one on the desert uh, fathers and mothers too, a very simple book. I think it was called out of solitude, mm-hmm. uh, which also introduced me to that for the first time. Uh, that concept of desert spirituality. So he's very influential now that we're talking about him. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm not in the habit of reading much of him other than the daily emails. And I don't even read those every day, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. Well, so. and I, I think just from knowing you, a lot of these things, a lot of these themes that we're talking about by his, or you've sort of, inter- or not sort of, but you've integrated them into your life. Yeah, yeah. So then you don't really think about it. Yeah, well, and you don't need to go back and reread the book. Yeah, you know, like I feel like for me, the books I've reread a lot are the ones where I'm not implementing the spiritual stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I need a reminder. <laughs> Whereas the ones where I am implementing some of the things, it's like, yeah. well, I just I do that every day, or I do that, you know, multiple right, times a yeah, week, and yeah. so you know, I, I I think re, you know, because I in my opinion, anyways, a spiritual path, especially spiritual books, spiritual podcasts, documentaries. Um, it's like a, it's like a roadmap. Yeah. It's like, you know, follow these few things. Um, you're not going to end up in the same place as me because you're having a different experience in a different life, but you're going to have an experience, you know? And so then you're like, okay, so then you implement whatever it is, so forth. You and sometimes you don't implement it. Sometimes yeah. you're like, ah, oh, that's not for me. Um, and then you begin to have experiences and and yeah. uh, epiphanies and right. uh, new things are pointing. You know what I mean? New things. We've talked about that a lot. Is you and I feel like, uh, especially just in our friendship, you know, kind of how it unfolded over the last ten years and how it's ebbed and flowed and um, new connections and yeah. releasing old connections and so. Um, and I guess we have a little bit of time, but one thing that really piqued my interest is, and I know it's a really long, it's a longer topic, so maybe we do an entire podcast about it, but um, with this idea of living a Eucharistic life, um, what compared to your, compared to, I guess, the pre- Eucharistic life and then sort of walking, walking down this path of a Eucharistic life for several years. Um, is there anything that has really popped out to you? Uh, maybe not in a surprising way, but, but, uh, epiphanies or insights you've had that, that, um, have come through that trying to embrace a, a Eucharistic lifestyle. Uh, no, I think it's just by being, you know, opening my heart during that time, you know, the, when we 
break bread and wine. You know, obviously there are times you just do it through right, emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but, you know, but a lot of times, yeah, I try to really enter in, you know, so into that. And, and so, yeah, it's a realization <clears throat> that, uh, you know, this broken bread is the broken body of Christ and that broken body of Christ is God's ultimate solidarity with everyone mm. who has ever suffered and is suffering at that moment. And so, and if there's one person suffering in the world, then I'm, I'm suffering. Mm. I'm one with them. Uh, and then the wine is the pouring out of, of uh, joy. And so, right. and that was another thing that now and really introduced to me, which, which was uh, uh, joy and sorrow are the same. Mm. Uh, so you drink from the one cup, and it's a cup of sorrow of the crucifixion, but it's the cup of, of joy for the looking forward to the resurrection. Uh, actually, they simulta- simultaneously exist with each right, other. Right, 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 right. That's another topic. <laughs> yeah, it's all another, <laughs> no, whole another uh, theology to walk down. Yeah, so it's so that's a profound thing for me, and to, and to look for that reality in my everyday life, you know, is a it's a real search for God in that sense. So yeah, and, and he he talked a lot about that the dance of life and death. Because uh, before my young, it's probably just being younger, but it was probably also the American Christian mindset that I had, which was that uh, death is the last enemy, right? Mm. So death is this enemy that needs to be conquered. Uh, and so until I realized, how, well, how did how did Christ conquer death? Well, he became death. He mm, succumbed he to death. Into it. He befriended it. And so, you know, uh, and the same thing with his teaching, you know, uh, love your enemies. So, so how do you, how do you do that? Well, you, you become friends at some point, you befriend each other. So then you don't have any enemies in that sense. And so, so American Christianity is always looking for an enemy to blame. I think tribalism is always, it's not just American. I well, think it's not just of, Christianity. Yeah. It's, it's any group of, of enclosed. Yeah. Indoctrinated people, even sports fans, this tribalism that's right. there. So you have to have a, that someone needs to be wrong so I can be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of thing. And so now I'm presented a real, a more realistic and integrated look at that, that death is a part of life. Mm. Uh, not some something to be avoided or fought, at, you know, kicked at, and that kind of thing. Flip off the Grim Reaper, that kind right. of meme, you know. <laughs> you know. F you, cancer, you know, you know that yeah, yeah. that me. It's like really, it's a, it's it's not personal, <laughs> right? Yeah, just part of life. So it's like wow, yeah. Well, and even the going back to that idea of the you know the cup of of joy and sorrow. You know, and and how profound that is for me. You know, because when things things are going good and we're flying high, you don't think about the impending sorrow. No. Right. And when you're down and out, and things are tough, and things aren't going well, you're not thinking about the impending joy. You know, and it might not be right away. Right. It might be six months away. It might be yeah. six years away. You know, but but it is happening simultaneously. It, when you're in those depressive states, yeah. when you're in those joyful states, um, 
you know, it's a, it's the, this too shall pass. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, I, I, I can remember thinking about like when things were going good and having that idea, like, oh, this will pass and kind of being bummed out about it, yeah. but being like, no, like you can know this is, is fleeting right. and you can still enjoy, you can still be in the moment and enjoy yeah. it and, uh, you know, and, and help others enjoy their successes. Right. Like when someone, when yeah. someone else succeeds, like, like, oh, heck yeah, dude, that's, that's incredible. Um, well, if you have that scarcity mentality, mm, you can't celebrate others. That's what a miserable way to live your life. Yeah. And we've, I've met people who can't celebrate others around right. them. And it's just how sad, how, you know, Brene Brown deals with that idea mm, of scarcity. Right. So basically as a culture where, yeah, if things are going well, there's this inner voice of anxiety underneath the experience saying, I've got to make this last. This might, this might end. <laughs> this is going to go How do away. I, it's going to, it's going to go away. Uh, and, and it's, you know, what if this happens or that happens it ruins all of this. And, uh, and it's just, yeah, you got to enter into it now mm-hmm. and uh, here. And so. Well, I think it's uh, the same thing with you were saying with death, you know, just befriend the moment, yeah, good or bad. And no, you know, knowing that friend is going to leave. Yeah. Too. Um, so we're getting a little bit close on time and I just wanted to sort of open it up for you if there's any other, whether it's themes or ideas or books or, you know, impact that, that uh, Henry Nowen has had on your life that we haven't, haven't quite touched on. Um, if you wanted to bring anything else up, giving him a high five for his contributions to your life and my life. And Yeah, no, I mean, uh, just, you know, like I said, just a, profound writer for me mm. in his it was profound he was profound in his simplicity mm. of it all and uh and just yeah and these ideas of uh the dance of life and death and uh you know thinking about uh john Steele, mm. who lived here off and on here in the community uh greg Steele's dad yeah um who passed away last week and so thinking of him you know he built a shop i was walking over here and he built that shop while we were building the straw, mm. the straw bale chapel, right, right. and um, and just how kind he was to my daughter, mm. and, uh, and to me as well. You know, yeah, it was, was, it was a double was... edge with him uh, when we first came out here. He said, "You know, I don't trust you," and I was like, "Why is that?" He said, "Because you're a you're a teacher and you're a preacher. That makes you a double manipulator." And I was like, "Wow, he doesn't like me." Uh, and but then he would show. T- uh, deep compassion for me uh, when when uh, our, when our daughter was uh, struggling with mental health issues and uh, just nothing was going right, nothing was working ever throughout her teenage years, and and some really bad shit had gone down, and and I'd run into him at one point, and I just you know was just devastated and crying, the empathy on his face and the sorrow that he carried with me uh, was very profound. So I really appreciate him. And so that, and as they go to Missouri right this week, you know, yeah. to mourn him, to mourn the loss and celebrate his life. Uh, just uh, thinking about that. And that's very now and esque. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Since. Yeah. Um, prayers and, and uh, thoughts for the whole steel family and, and yeah. knowing, you know, how tough that's, that's been the last couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, one of the beautiful thing, you know, sort of now in S2 is 
you know, he got to spend two, was it two weeks in Alaska? I think so. Right yeah. before, right before he passed and was fully in the moment and alert, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and just was able to live, he lived life to the fullest. You yeah, know, he one, really did. One of the, one of the things Greg uh, told me that, you know, uh, his dad didn't want to be bedridden. You know what I mean? He right. didn't, you know, and he, he, and he got to live life fully up right up until the end and, and yeah. uh, make some beautiful memories with, with Greg and, and Deanna and, uh, in Alaska. And yeah. so, um, but yeah, the, the sadness in the morning is still, still very r- yeah. real. So, um, well, thank you for your time, my friend. Thank you, Mr. Mason. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, like we said, you could, uh, find out more about Henry now and from his, uh, his website. Um, it's Henry org. Um, a lot of good stuff there, uh, including list of his, all his books. He's a prolific writer, you know, besides what we mentioned here. Um, thank you to Jacob Nedia. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, in fact, the shop you just mentioned being built is, is where the monk drums are built. Uh, and, um, yeah, we just appreciate y'all listening and, uh, have a wonderful week.